next level. Have you heard the latest? They've just installed a waterbed in the training room. Have you ever been laid on a waterbed? The most beautiful thing in the world is smoking pot and fucking on a waterbed at the same time. <laughs> Do you ever fantasize about being killed? Do you ever wonder about all the different ways of dying, you know, violently? I wonder, like, what would be the most horrible way to die? Well, hello, Mr. Fancy. violent content parental discretion is advised he cut that poor girl in half while she was still alive so because this is my show and not yours um i'm saying this the detroit tigers after tonight will be a perfect four and oh since coming back from the all-star break they swept the chicago white Sox in the third game they uh they beat them seven nothing and as I speak to you right now, I believe they're in the bottom of the eighth, beating the Texas Rangers 14-0. That's 21 unanswered runs for the Detroit Tigers in the last two games. You might be thinking, why is he talking about this on a podcast about horror movies and science fiction movies and whatnot? But it's because I can. It's because it's my show. And it's because I'm pretty fucking happy about that. <laughs> I mean... Two years ago, 2019, the Tigers were one of the worst teams in the league. And then 2020 happened, and well, let's just call that a really long preseason, because that season sucked, for a lot of reasons, and not not necessarily for the reasons of the teams, just the whole fucking year. And then this year, I mean, I wasn't sure what to expect. It looked like it was going to be another bad season with the Tigers, and all of a sudden, they don't look so bad anymore. And I'm happy about that. So, and I mean, like I said, it's my show. And not to mention, this is this is an episode. It's it's a means for a celebration because it's it's a benchmark. It's the hundredth episode for the show. I know technically there's been like a hundred. This would be like a hundred and six because of special episodes and whatnot. But I mean, in terms of like actual movie reviews and within the format of the show and whatnot, this is episode one hundred. So without any further ado, coming to you from the Next Level Network of Podcasts and Studio Fucking Zero, welcome back everyone to What Works Behind Podcast Zero. And I'm your host, Postmortem Paul. And yes, episode 100. So I haven't told you what movie it is yet, although I gave a hint last week. I said it's exactly what you think it is, and if you know your taglines, you know what movie that's from. I might also add that I recently took in the movie The Final Girls. Finally got around to watching that. My god, that was entertaining. So much fun. And I did love the little nod to this week's movie, which I also kind of opened this episode up with a bit of that 
idea, the whole idea of uh, getting high and fucking on a waterbed. Well, in the movie The Final Girls, there's a line about, you know, waterbeds. And I kind of thought that was really cute because it was like, wow, even this movie like made a little nod to one of my favorite slashers of all time from 1982, a Spanish and American flick directed by Juan Piquer Simone, Piquer Simone, I think I'm saying his name right. Yes, you don't even have to go to Texas for this chainsaw massacre. It is the movie Pieces. And you're like, really? That's the movie he chose to go with for episode 100? Yes, I did. Fuck you. Um, no. Um, I love you all, honestly. You know that. So, But yes, I decided to go with Pieces because I love Pieces. And Pieces is fun. And it is a stupid little slasher movie that if you even attempt to take it seriously, you're doing it completely wrong. Um, and yet some people did. There was controversy with this flick. There were censors involved with this flick. There was a lot of bullshit that came with this flick. Some of it, okay, maybe valid. But, well, you know what? First things first. Let's get into my other quick reviews. I have about three, maybe four movies to talk about really quickly. Then we'll do the trailer timeout, and then when we come back, I'm going to have a lot of fun unloading on all of you about just a fucking classic film. And yes, it's episode 100, and I'm in a goofy kind of mood. So, let's do this. Let's first off talk about the fact that Netflix, okay, um, saving one for last, but Netflix released a little movie um, last week that the trailer I had seen, I was kind of intrigued and then kind of forgot about it, and then all of a sudden it popped up, and I was like, oh yeah, I wanted to watch that. Movie called A Classic Horror Story, and the best way to describe that, well, it's kind of like an Italian melting pot of horror ideas that were, like, borrowed from other movies, other stories, and whatnot, but it's kind of done in an interesting way. Um, it's got, uh, how would you do this? It's take a little pot and put, like, Midsummer. Midsommar in there, uh, a little bit of Cabin in the Woods, sprinkle on some Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, a dash of Scream, um, I don't know, and throw in just like sort of like the hinted idea of One Cut of the Dead, and mix that all up into 95 minutes, and you have this movie, which is not too shabby, um, considering, like, I mean, you gotta keep in mind, Netflix does not really have the best horror category like a lot of what they have on their horror section either i've seen that shit years ago or some of the new stuff just really doesn't hold up it's very mainstreamy and it, i don't know it just doesn't appeal to me um and th that's not me being like you know a pretentious asshole it's just i try watching it and it's like mm, you're kind of losing me so but that that being said i mean netflix isn't completely horrible um, when I talk about a certain other property coming up soon, you'll hear that I absolutely gush over it. Um, but with this one, a classic horror story. So considering Netflix isn't the greatest for horror, this one's actually kind of like, you know, a diamond among the dirt. That's what I kind of looked at it like. Um, it's very quick paced. There's some decent gore. 
Uh, effects are really, you know, they're solid. Um, engaging story with, uh, there is a cool twist at the end that's kind of cool. Not that original though, but it's cool. Um, uh, the music, the music, I I have to definitely say the music. The music by, and I, I'm, God, I'm going to crucify his name, but I'll try it. Massimiliano McKelly? I think I'm saying that right. God, no, I'm not. But anyways, uh, his score, and can be heard on Spotify, by the way. Um, if you, you know, don't know where to find it or you don't have the money to purchase it, hey, you know, load up Spotify. It's on there. Uh, I got to say, it's definitely a standout. Um, definitely modern. It's a, it's a modern score, but I liked it. It kind of worked. Um, it was definitely one of the standout features of the film. It really helped set the mood. Um, for this film, I think you take away that score and this movie is probably not as successful or as it, it wouldn't work as well. I think, you know, you do need the score. Um, I, I, I will say this. If the film had been a little less predictable, I probably would have liked it a little bit more, but there was a lot that I saw coming. Um, that said, I mean, it's still worth a watch. I give it about a six out of 10 definitely something you know pass a sunday afternoon off with you know whatever it's good it's not great let's put it that way moving on to a movie that was recommended to me by one of my friends uh, she's been kind of not on me about it but she had mentioned it a couple times about this flick uh the movie is called the girl with all the gifts it's from 2017 and I have to say I did not expect this because <laughs> um, it's very rare. And I've said this before on this show. It's very rare that we see movies that come along that give a fresh take on the zombie genre. I mean, unless you're trained to Passan or 28 Days Later. I mean, within, I'd say, the last, you know, 10 to 15, possibly even 20 years, zombie films are pretty much a dime a dozen. And it's really hard to change you know, within the genre. Nothing. It's not like the days of Romero back in 68 when he gave us Night of the Living Dead and the whole world was like, what the fuck did I just watch? Um, nowadays, you see a zombie movie and it's like, hmm, all right, it's another zombie movie, like Army of the Dead, for example. Not that it was a bad movie, but it really didn't re like recreate anything or, re or invent anything new in the genre. Then I watched this movie, The Girl with All the Gifts, and... It felt fresh. It felt new. It was definitely a, a new idea. Um, I mean, there's some callbacks in this movie. Just as with any movie that comes out pretty much these days, there's always a callback to something else. In this one, there's a callback to, like, you got properties of Day of the Dead with what with the military idea. Uh, Walking Dead, you know, uh, Walking Dead was very post-apocalyptic. That's what this movie is. Uh, Cargo is another one, um, that one with, uh, Martin Free, it was Martin Freeman was in that one. I mean, there's definitely some callbacks, there's some borrowing that goes on with this film, but overall it's very minimal. Um, it's just, I, I, to be fair, I, I don't even know that you can call this a zombie movie. I know that technically it does have, you know, brainless, flesh-eating zombies in it, but to call it a zombie movie just seems wrong. Like, it... It doesn't seem accurate. You know what I mean? Like, this is just a wonderfully told story that happens to have these beings that have to, you know, you know, 
get rid of their hunger by means of eating the lesser human race. I mean, because <laughs> that's that's basically what it is. At the same time, though, you know, some of these zombies, so to speak, they're not your typical zombies. They're smart. They are capable of emotion. They're capable of understanding and compassion. Um, the the main character, the girl with all the gifts, Melanie, who's played by uh, Senia Nanua. I think I'm saying her name right. Young little young little actress that has a great future. She is so amazing to watch in this film. Um, and I mean, like, to be fair, I have to say this. Calling the movie The Girl with All the Gifts, I'm glad they went that way because apparently there was some other title they were going to name it. I forget what it was. But they decided to go with the name that is actually from the book this is based on. There's a book called The Girl with All the Gifts, and this is the movie based on that. This movie's really fucking good because of Senia. Like, her portrayal in this fucking movie is so damn good. And I think she's, what, 10, maybe 11 years old? like an actual age when filming this, like fucking awesome. I'm not going to spoil this one. There's some of you that have probably already seen it. I was late to the party on this one. Uh, I man, really fucking good movie. It's clearly an eight out of 10. It's probably going to be one that eventually down the road, I will do a full massive review on it. But for the purposes of this show, and because you know, this episode is dedicated to pieces I just wanted to talk about it quickly and say that if you haven't seen this movie, I really do recommend it. I put it right up there with Train to Busan, where thank you for giving us something fresh and something new. And I might add that this is a British film. It's not Canadian. It's not American. It's, it's straight from the Brits, which they gave us 28 days later. They know how to recreate and make fresh a zombie movie. So kudos to them for that. Moving on to the other Netflix movie that I want to talk about. Now, as on par with the last two episodes, I've been talking about the Fear Street trilogy. Now, part three was released last Friday. And part three takes place 1666. And I'll quickly recap. The first film, I thought was good. Gave it a six out of ten. I'm going to go on the record and say that I think I'm going to bump that. Probably to about a seven. Um, because... This movie really helped bring it full circle, and now I'm I'm definitely looking forward to watching all three back to back to back because I think this one helps make that first part better. So I'll say that though the first one when I when I initially watched it, it was a six out of ten. The second one I absolutely loved, gave that an eight out of ten. Thought it was fucking grand. It was just so awesome. Now for this one, and I will say for part three, I'm very satisfied with it. I'm satisfied with this as being a conclusion. Now, it's almost kind of like a two-part film. Um, I'm going to keep spoilers to a very minimum, like a very a very you know high minimum here. But I will say that it's technically the first half of the movie it takes place in 1666 and the second half takes place in 1994 because we now have to finish the end of the story. So it is going to jump back to 1994. Um, actually to believe it, if you can believe this, I actually saw people complaining online that they felt that this was, uh, a, a, 
a rushed episode, a rushed film because it went back to 1994 where that should have been its own separate film. And I'm like, you never would have gone for a four piece fucking movie. Um, but whatever. I will say this, this, this is definitely a solid ending. I definitely felt, um, so it's, it was kind of interesting. I kind of felt like it was like ginger snaps back. You know, the part three of the Ginger Snaps trilogy where they went back in time and it was what in that one, it was like 18th century Canada, I think it was. And well, in this one, obviously 1666. So whatever. Um, obviously, the difference being in this in this story, we're talking about witches and witchcraft and the idea of making deals with Satan as opposed to, you know, werewolves in the Ginger Snaps movie, obviously. So, I mean, there is that difference. Uh, a lot of the mainstream a lot of mainstream audience are going to go to straight away. They're going to go to Robert Eggers, um, you know, the witch in terms of, you know, how they feel this movie was inspired and whatnot. I'm going to change that a little bit. My argument to that was I got very much a spellbinder or a wicker man feel from this in the fact that there was like this cult like mentality, you know, um, within the, the, the town in the movie. Um, you definitely got that cult feeling. I don't know, and I trust me, I get it. I know within the witch there's that idea as well, but this one, I felt it was more like a spellbinder kind of feel to it. Um, I and I will definitely say for those of you who may, if you're listening to this show, up, pretty sure you don't already have this going for you. But if for whatever reason you are very, you have very strong religious feelings or beliefs or whatnot, I'm going to mention right now, there is a, a very strong religious tone in this movie, especially in the first half of it when it's taking place in 1666. Um, which, I mean, honestly, if you've watched the first two parts, this shouldn't come as a surprise to you because you know what is going to happen in the past. Um, I mean... I could say some things about it, but I won't. But I'll just say that the movie makes its point very clear. Um, it, 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 you're not sitting there going, I wonder where they're going with this. No, they make it very, very, very clear. <laughs> um, but there's good effects in this one. Solid score. It's a nice closing to the trilogy. Um, and the acting, again, is... I gotta I gotta admit, they've done pretty good with this. The, the acting is solid. It, for me, probably I... I'm going to say this. The second film is easily my favorite of the three. But this one's not bad. It, it, the first and the third parts, I think, are on par. Like I said, like I originally gave the first part a 6 out of 10. This one, I'm going to say, is about a 7. But when when we finally get that third part, and now it's wrapping around back to 1994, and we're, we're finishing off that storyline and whatnot, I think they did a very good job with this trilogy. I was really, really impressed with it. Um, and I mean, as, as much as I say that, I, like I really champion that second part, but I mean, there's not much that I can complain about the first or the third part. I mean, that first part, yeah, okay. I, you know, I did say when I talked about it a couple episodes ago, the 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 soundtrack at the beginning of the film was really forced. <laughs> we got the point. It's supposed to take place in the 90s. But, um, I mean, aside from that, really, I, I enjoyed this. I really did. It, and I'll be fair, I haven't read the books. I, I have no clue what 
the books are like the RL the RL Stein books sort of came I don't want to say after my time, but at the time when they were coming out, I was reading Stephen King and Clive Barker, Anne Rice, Dean Koontz. Um, I was reading a lot of that. Um, so R.L. Stein, Nicholas Pike is another one. I, di- I didn't really read those. And I-, I will say this, though. After seeing these three movies, I'm definitely like intrigued. I do kind of want to go and read some of these Fear Street books now. Because, I mean... I, I well personally like in my book collection I have three Halloween books. They're um they're teen books, I guess, but they're based on like the idea of Michael Myers and whatnot. And there's three of there was three of them that were released and I've read all three of them and I loved them. So I mean it's not that I, I, I can't sit here and you know, I'm gonna read this and go, Oh, this book is garbage. You know, I I I kinda am curious now. I do wanna read some of these R. L. Stein books and see what they're like, so um, I will say this very quickly. Um, there have been discussions between myself and another podcaster, and I will definitely keep you updated what through the Facebook page, uh, Instagram, and obviously the show as to when you will be able to catch that. But there is going to be sort of a group of us talking about the Fear Street movies in full, very spoilery, and we are definitely going to gush about them. So I will let you know when that is coming. It's um, Ben Beck's new show for the Next Level Network, Wilhelm. Uh, yeah, he kind of was talking with myself and someone else about, you know, it'd be really cool if we did an episode on the Fear Street trilogy, and it is going to happen. So, I will keep you guys informed as to when that will be available, which it will be fairly soon. Um, and then you're really going to hear some of my full-out thoughts because I won't be holding back on the spoilers. But now, let's travel back to 1982. Oh, the 80s. We love the 80s. I've, obviously, I do. I've been doing a lot of episodes with both movies from the 80s. But this one is a gem. Gem that, well, I'm not going to lie. I mean, when I was younger... I didn't care for it as much. It's kind of an interesting story about this one. I mean, it's one that is sort of like, you know how they say age like a fine wine? Well, that's sort of how this movie feels in my heart. Like, first time I saw it, I didn't really care much for it. And as the years have gone on, it's it's become one of those films that it's like, oh my God, I cannot get enough of this fucking movie. So, trailer time out, and when we return, our shared dead cast experience will be with a bunch of co-eds getting chopped up by a chainsaw. Movie that had many release dates and many censors out to ban this movie. After the break, we come back and we talk about pieces. Back in the splat, kids. Warning. What you will see in the movie Pieces cannot be revealed, cannot be described, cannot even be imagined. And you don't have to go to Texas for a chainsaw massacre. Pieces, it's exactly what you think it is. Pieces, absolutely no one under 17 will be admitted. 
right, all right, all right. It's time to kick into pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. Same with this show. It's exactly what you think it is. I know probably there's someone out there that gets annoyed with my whole little like personal tagline of, you know, stupid guy pretending I'm smart, but... I think the whole thing is, is like, and I'm going to say this about this movie a lot too. Don't take it seriously. Don't take me seriously. All right. I'm just having fun. Just talking about movies and this movie, there's a fuck. I love talking about this movie. I love, you know what I love about this movie? I love introducing this movie to people who have never seen it. Uh, was it last Halloween? I think I introduced like four of my friends to this movie And especially by the time we got to the end, the whole, what the fuck did I just watch? I think all of them pretty much uttered that at the same time. And I loved it. It, It's just, it's such a great feeling when you can, when you can show somebody a movie that something like society, society is one of those movies. You never see that last 20 minutes coming. I mean, after you've seen it, sure. You watch the movie again. You're like, Oh, I get it. They were hinting at this. They were hinting at that. But the first initial time you ever watch society, you never expect that ending. Well, it's the same with pieces. Sure. You, you think you've got, you know, especially like when the movie seems like it's almost winding down and it's coming to that close and, You're like, okay, well, we've seen the story as it is. And then there's that final zinger. And holy shit, the zinger gets everybody every time. Sleepaway Camp, another perfect example of that. Um, But anyways, let's get into this review and we'll talk about, well, we'll, me, me and all my multiple personalities. We'll talk about this movie. I'm going to throw a lot of commentary towards everything that I've written down. Because this review is sort of not much of a review because, let's be honest, I love this fucking movie, okay? In my heart, it's already a 10. So, as for what my logical rating is, I'll save that for later. But, in my heart, this movie's a 10. It's already fucking awesome. So, Pieces was released August 23rd, 1982 in Spain. A year later, September 23rd, 1983, it was released in the United States. And a year after that, August 3rd, 1984, it was released in Canada. Um, The movie is directed by Juan Piquer Simone, the Spanish director. Apparently, the rumor is, is that when he directed this film, he did it for $14. I don't know the accuracy of that, but I've heard that rumor get spread around a couple times, and I believe it was even mentioned on the last drive-in. So, I mean... It's something that I've heard before. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, J.P. Simone, because that's what he sometimes goes by, also directed movies like Supersonic Man, uh, Slugs, The Rift, and Cthulhu Mansion. And uh, Supersonic Man, apparently, from what I've been hearing, certain scenes that were filmed for that movie, whether they were in the movie or not, whatever but i guess certain scenes they used some of that footage for this movie as well uh, more on that in a bit but supposedly supersonic man a couple of those screenshots were borrowed for this movie the movie was written and produced by dick randall uh it was also produced by steven manassian as well but um uh, this movie, uh, in terms of the screenplay, was written by Dick Randall. 
Uh, he also he directed a film. Uh, he directed Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks, which I'm not sure if any of you have seen uh, Elvira's movie macabre episode where she tore this movie apart, basically, like Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks. It was actually quite funny and one of the better episodes um, that's available on Tubi TV. So if you're interested in watching it, although when the director's name comes up, it says Robert H. Oliver. Uh, apparently Dick Randall gave himself another name for the directing role. Uh, he also worked on movies like Lady Frankenstein, Don't Open Till Christmas. Hmm, I think I talked about that one before. And he worked on a movie, uh, it's a little um, slasher favorite, cult fit, cult classic uh, known as Slaughter High. Yeah, he kind of worked on that. Um, it was also written by Roberto Loyola. But he went by the name of John Shadow for this film, and J.P. Simone himself kind of helped in the writing process as well. As I said, produced by Dick Randall and Stephen Manassian. And Manassian also worked with Dick Randall on the films Don't Open Till Christmas and Slaughter High. Moving on to the cinematography. Director of photography was Juan Marine, but he credited himself as John Marine in this. Uh, he has 102 cinematography credits, including Supersonic Man, Black Candles, and The Rift. Here is an interesting tidbit for you kids. The man's birthday, listen closely, was December 31st, 1920. He's still alive today. A hundred years old this man is. Well worth mentioning in this review. He is a hundred years old and I checked it as accurately as eight hours ago. The man is still reported alive. That's awesome. If he makes it to December 31st of this year, he will be 101 years old. That, that deserves an applause, kids. That's awesome. Uh, special effects by Basilio Cortez. Tigio. Uh, he was uncredited for work on the movie Orca, which recently just celebrated its 45th anniversary, I believe. Um, also worked on the movie Slugs, Moonchild, The Rift, and Cthulhu Mansion. Uh, Slugs, The Rift, and Cthulhu Mansion get mentioned a lot. Um, and a lot of people, uh, all within the creative process of this movie, worked on those movies as well. Uh, the music. The music is a collective thing um if you have the soundtrack it will usually say music by cam c-a-m um it's a very collective soundtrack um the soundtrack by the way is available on cd if you buy the three disc grindhouse release uh blu-ray edition or you can get it on vinyl i have both um anyways the music um Names like Silvano Cimenti comes up, Stelvio Cipriani. Uh, Cipriani worked on Don't Look in the Attic and Death Proof. Death Proof is a classic. Uh, Carlo Maria Cordillo worked on Zombie 5, Killing Birds, uh, Shocking Dark, and The Curse 2, The Bite. Fabio Frizzi. Oh, Frizzi, yes, we love Frizzi. He worked on Lucio Falci's Zombie. Uh, he also worked on City of the Living Dead, The Beyond, and A Cat in the Brain. Stephen Hamm offered some music to this. Elaine LaRue. Uh, Claudio Simonetti, or Simonetti, sorry. 
is uncredited, but what's he worked on? Well, shit. Let's see. Deep Red, Suspiria, uh, as Goblin, obviously. But he worked on Suspiria, Dawn of the Dead, Demons, Opera, Nightmare Beach, Phenomena. It, you know, Simonetti's name is like synonymous with Italian horror, right? So he's done a lot of shit. Moving on to our starring cast. Here's our starring cast for this glorious little piece of cinema known as Pieces. And we will start with Christopher George. Ah, Christopher George as Lieutenant Bracken. A lot of TV work. He's done, he has done a lot of TV work, uh, which also I, I mentioned this, this is kind of cool. He was in the TV series, 1976 Wonder Woman. Uh, he was in the episode Fausta, the Nazi Wonder Woman. Uh, he played the character of Rojak. Uh, and I'm talking Wonder Woman, the, the series with Linda Carter, for all of you. I'm sure you've probably figured that out by now. The reason I mention that is also because his wife, Linda Day, well, Linda Day George, but she goes by Linda Day in this film. She also was in that same Wonder Woman episode. She played Fausta. So I thought that was kind of cool. You'll notice a lot of times Christopher George and Linda Day worked together. They did a lot of work um, you know, side by side, but they were also married at a time and whatnot. Um, when he passed away at the age of 52, he was married to her at that time. Um, he also played in other, uh, he played in movies like Ex The Exterminator, City of the Living Dead, Graduation Day, Mortuary, and Enter the Ninja. Um, and then Linda, Linda was also um, in the movie uh, Day of the Animals which was another Christopher George flick. Leslie Nielsen of Naked Gun was also in that movie as well. Um, she was also in movies like Beyond Evil, Mortuary with her husband, obviously. Uh, Young Warriors, uh, which is a movie with Ernest Borgnine, Robert Roundtree, and Linnea Quigley. We all know the Quigs. Return of the Living Dead. Come on now. Um but Linda Day did retire from acting in 2002, and as I said, unfortunately, Christopher George passed away at the age of 52 in November of 1983. Now, moving past the husband and wife of this beautiful film, Frank Bragnier, uh, I think I'm saying his last name right, Bragnier as Sergeant Holden, um, he had 171 acting credits to his name. Which include movies like uh, Crypt of the Living Dead, Return of the Evil Dead. I will honestly admit I've never seen that movie, but I want to. Um, he was also in Street Warriors, Slugs, The Rift, and Cthulhu Mansion. Paul L. Smith. Ah, what a joy this man is. He plays Willard. He's like the custodian at the college in pieces. 58 acting credits that included films like Dune. Oh, Dune, ah, yes. Red Sonja. Ah, yes. But most famously, where do we know Paul L. Smith from? Well, if you are familiar with that classic film that starred Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall, yes, he played, Paul L. Smith played Bluto in the movie Popeye. Ah, pretty fucking cool, eh? Um, however, he did pass away in the year 2012. I noticed that several actors from this film did pass on. And that kind of sad, but, I mean, 
we have this movie to remember them by. Am I right? Moving on to Edmund Purdom as Dean Foley. 96 acting credits. Including Frankenstein's Castle of Freaks. Don't Open Till Christmas. And The Rift. And he directed a movie. Now, how many of you remember? I believe I talked about this. And it wasn't uh, this past Christmas. I believe it was the Christmas before. When I talked about the movie Don't Open Till Christmas. Yes, Edmund Purdom directed that film. And it was also the only film he ever directed. And he never directed after that again. But that was part of the agreement for him to to star in that movie and be able to direct it. And apparently that was too much for him. He never did directing again. But yes, he's our Dean. Dean Foley. Ian Sarah as Kendall James. Um, so not a lot of acting. Uh, not a lot. He didn't do a lot of acting. I think he had something like eight credits. He did a movie though called Extraterrestrial Visitors. Now, I've neglected to mention this film. This film actually comes up for many of these actors, including our director, uh, Juan Piquer Simone, who was the director for Extraterrestrial Visitors. The reason why I haven't brought this movie up, it's very poorly rated. It's criticized. Um, it's a favorite of Mystery Science Theater uh, 3000. Uh, they, they like picking on it, tearing it apart and whatnot. But I didn't feel it was worth really mentioning because it's not a good movie. Um and I don't recommend it. I mean, it's cheesy. It's cheesy as fuck, honestly. If you want to watch it, look up the Mystery Science Theater episode with it. It makes the movie so much better. Um, the interesting thing about that movie, Extraterrestrial Visitors, is also that Frank Branier is in the film as well, as is George Stover. I've mentioned that name before, too, uh, when I talked about the movie Night Beast. So it all comes around. It's all full circle. Uh, finally, Jack Taylor as Professor Arthur Brown. 127 acting credits, which includes some good movies, actually. He, he, he's not a, a I mean, B-movie act, B actor, yes, but some of these movies are pretty good. Um, Count Dracula from 1970. It was in Dr. Jekyll versus the Werewolf, which is not a completely horrible film. Uh, Vampire's Night Orgy. Honestly, I've never seen that, so I can't comment. But not the cool title. Um, <laughs> I have yet to see that movie, though. Uh, Conan the Barbarian. He was in that. He was in the movie Rest in Pieces from 1987. No relation to this film, though. Uh, he was in Edge of the Axe and The Ninth Gate with Johnny Depp. So he's he's been in some solid movies as well. Uh, the runtime for this movie is an hour and 25 minutes long. It is not rated, technically. There's a rated R version, but whatever. Um, it's not rated, but it does have elements of horror violence, gore, nudity, profane language, and references to drugs and waterbeds. The waterbeds thing I added. But yes, it has a reference to waterbeds. If you are unaware, because I know waterbeds are not really a thing these days. Um... Yes, a waterbed. So apparently we thought, you know, what better way to sleep than to feel like you're like on the ocean, you know, and you have this bed that even when you breathe, it fucking moves. And I don't know how I remember one of my friends had a waterbed and I tried sleeping on it. I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. I mean, 
I like my beds to be soft. I like having a soft mattress and whatnot, but I couldn't do a water bed. Like, and, and it makes me laugh that in this movie, they're like, there's nothing better than getting high and fucking on a water bed. It's like, how? <laughs> it's crazy. Um, the estimated budget for the film is 300000 and the gross profit was about $2 million, so not too bad. Raked in some money. The synopsis for the film, straight from the Vestron VHS, uh, is as follows. The year is 1941. A young boy is assembling a jigsaw puzzle of a nude woman when his mother enters in a rage and tells him to throw the puzzle out. Instead, he returns with an axe and hacks his mother to death, tricking the police into believing a maniac had killed her. Forty years later, at a Boston college, the terror really begins. A chainsaw-wielding madman is roaming the campus, collecting pieces of beautiful co-eds for a ghastly human puzzle he is assembling, and the police haven't a clue to the crazed killer's identity. Christopher George stars in this horrifying adventure into madness, hysteria, and bone-chilling brutality. And as for this segment, I'm calling it Chainsaws, Waterbeds, and Jigsaws. Oh my! Um, Yeah, okay. Censors love this movie. Um, Yeah, the BBFC and the MPAA, yeah, they had fun with this movie. Um, women's groups, feminist groups, religious groups, um, parental groups. Oh yeah. Everybody had fun with this movie. Everybody wanted it gone except the fans. Um, (laughs) there is another version of the film available. As I mentioned, there's an R rated version, which I think was the version I saw originally to be fair. Uh, because as I got older and saw the unrated version, there were a couple scenes that did look different. But I will say that uh, in the R-rated version, okay, so uh, some of the gore is taken out, obviously. Uh, The girl in the skinny dipping scene where she gets gets killed in the pool. Um, Somehow or another, she almost drowns because he puts a fishnet over her head. I don't understand it, but anyways, and then pulls her uh, out of the water and... It's it's a bad scene, but it's kind of funny. Anyways, uh, she's wearing uh, black bottoms in in the rated R version. Um, uh, when the dean's head, when when you know the the sh- the gory shot of his head at the end of the film is, it's less gory. And uh, the elevator scene where the girl she gets her left arm being sliced off. That scene was taken out. Uh, and then there's a VHS edition that was released by Eddie Entertainment. And they took out the whole beginning. The whole, um, what they call basically the prologue of the film. Where we see the kid putting together the puzzle. The mother goes batshit crazy. He comes in with an axe, kills her. That that whole scene got taken right out of that VHS release. So... That's horrible. I mean, honestly, at that point, I don't know. You kind of need that scene. Like, it really helps to set up the whole idea. If if you don't have that scene, it's not that the rest of the movie isn't good, but you're kind of wondering, like, okay, what is the motive and why do the body parts keep missing from each of the girls that are killed and stuff? So, I don't know. Whatever. Um, I personally never saw that version, so I'm kind of glad for that, but... 
I mean, honestly, who even wants to talk about those versions? Who want we want the unrated shit. We want the Vestron release. We want the the Grindhouse releasing unrated edition. You know, the double double DVD or you know the Blu-ray edition that had the Blu-ray DVD and the CD, the CD that came with the soundtrack, um, and some deleted music as well, like alternate versions and whatnot was also on there. And there's a like I said, there's a, a vinyl release of it as well. Like talk about that shit we want to talk about the good stuff we want to talk about the fact that this entire movie was shot in madrid spain even though it says it's in boston massachusetts um i did mention about supersonic man so some of the stock footage that was used for supersonic man was brought over to this movie to make it feel like it was in boston it wasn't in boston it had nothing to do with boston um there's even been mentions about like the architecture of the buildings and whatnot is the the kind of architecture you would not see in massachusetts whatever it works it's fine i mean that that's movies for you right like there's a there's no such place as middle earth okay like when we did lord of the rings it was filmed in new zealand um, but I get it. Yeah. It's kind of weird that they wouldn't just film in Massachusetts, but I believe it had something to do with budget or something like that. There was some crazy reason why as for the idea of pieces where the whole, like, you know, the, the, the idea for the story, it came from apparently Juan, uh, Piquet Simone was, he was offered a, a, a TV movie that had like, it was like a 30 page treatment or whatever. Um, uh, what was it called? It was called Jigsaw, actually, which is weird because years later, you know, we had the Saw movie called Jigsaw. But anyways, um, this was a made-for-TV movie, but it was going to obviously be very watered down because it was made-for-TV and whatnot. So he took the basic idea from that and created his own screenplay for pieces. Um, and the only thing that kept him from going further with this film was the budget. If he had a bigger budget, he would have done even more crazy shit with this movie. So I think also, like I was mentioning about like the girl in the pool where like she gets the fishnet over her head and it's like, it's almost like, like she's like, oh my God, I can't get away. It's like, well, why wouldn't you just go underwater? <laughs> you know, just drop down the, the fucking net ain't going to go with you. But, uh, uh, some of these scenes were kind of crazily filmed and whatnot because of the budget. And then, I mean, not to mention they wanted to make sure they kept the money for the best parts, which is the gore, which some of the gore in this movie is really fucking solid. Um, also when he made his idea for pieces, a lot of the dialogue, um, in this movie is improvised. No shit, Sherlock. Because <laughs> some of the fucking dialogue in this movie is bad. It's like, you can tell that an actor was told, react to this, and that's the reaction they got. And he was like, it's cut. So <laughs> there's one scene. I will talk about it in a bit. The um, the bastard scene. Many people that have seen this movie know about that. Yes, that was ad-libbed, you know, completely improvised as they were going along. So some of the controversy to this film, I'm going to kind of lead this into the controversy because so, okay. Like for example, last week I talked about Lizzie Kaplan in the Cloverfield film and how she had that misunderstanding. She thought it was going to be a rom-com and actually it was a monster disaster film. And you know, after that she said, I always, and I always need to know what I'm going to be filming from that point on. 
Thank God she worked with JJ again because, as I said last week, Castle Rock season two, mm. fucking mint. Anyways, in this movie, there's some issues that came up. Like, for example, the um, the dance scene. The dance scene. So Juan Piquet Simone has some... I don't want to go as far as to say the dude's a perv, but I think he was stretching. He's reaching, you know. I think he wanted some eye candy here. Because according to him, he wanted the dance scenes in the studio. He wanted all the women to be completely naked. And he said it made more sense. Which, no, it doesn't. But anyways, the aerobics instructor that they had in the in the film, she's an actual aerobics instructor. And she was the one who basically told him, one, she wasn't going to take off her own clothes. And two, no, that's not how we do things. He insisted he wanted it done that way she insisted it wasn't gonna happen that way he eventually backed down but (laughs) apparently some of the actresses were okay with this they were like well we would have done it if you know if we were gonna film it that way so he took down their names and said i'll keep you in mind for future scenes dude's a little weird um Susie, the girl that gets chopped in half in the bathroom so we we know her scene right she's she got pants on, but she got no top on, and she gets cut right in half. Okay, so the actress who played her was Letitia Marfil, and her mother was Mercedes Marfil. Mercedes was in charge of the wardrobe for this movie. Mommy said, hey, I can get you in the movie because her daughter wanted to be an actress, and so she said, hey, I can get you in, no worries. So Juan checks her over goes, oh, she'll be perfect for the part. So she's totally excited about the role. She's like, awesome, I'm going to do this scene where I'll be a dancer and I'm going to get killed and it'll be my first, you know, foray on the screen and all this stuff. And she's totally happy about it. The first day of shooting, they have that she's playing the tennis game with Linda Day, you know, Mary Riggs and whatnot. Hey, no problem. It's awesome. You know, she does that. Well, then came the kill, the kill day, the the day where they're going to do her kill shot. And, well, you know, Simone decided he was going to change the script on her. He said, you know, originally for her death, she would be fully clothed. Well, he decided, you know, I think she should be topless. It would make the scene more intense. Um, okay. (laughs) Anyway, she was a bit hesitant at first, but then she decided eventually. She's like, okay, fine. You know what? I'll do it because it's my my first shot on TV or on uh, in a movie. Sorry. And she's like, okay, fine, I'll do it. Well, that's two days. It was a two-day shot, first off, surrounded by all men. It was an all-men crew. No women. No women were there. It was all men. So she's, you know, topless for two days straight. Well, not obviously not straight. I mean, you know, she had time to sleep and shit like that. But, I mean, the whole time she's working on this, she's topless. Plus, she's got men, like, you know, they've got to touch her and do stuff for, the like, you know, the, the special effects, the gore shot and whatnot. And eventually she gets cut in half and it's over. Okay. So after pieces, here's the interesting little tidbit to this. After pieces, she got another role in another film. And again, she had to play part of the role completely nude. And after that, she never acted again. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> like, seriously? Um, first off, pieces, you know, you, you're almost tricked. Let's be honest. Like, he tricked her. I mean, originally in the script, she was fully clothed. Mm, Okay, well, you know what? Now we're going to change it because we think it'll make it more intense. Mm, Okay, sure, bud. 
Anyways, so with what I've just talked about, there seems to be this assessment. It's by critics. It's by, you know, censors and whatnot that this movie had a misogynistic tone or feeling to it. Would we say that's accurate? Hmm. I mean, there's even a quote from Kevin Thomas, who's a film critic for the Los Angeles Times. And I, I, I mentioned him because I took his actual quote and he basically said, Pieces is a wretched, stupid little picture whose sole purpose is the exploitation of extreme violence against women. Followed up by Ian Conrich, who is a film scholar, apparently, and he criticized the film for having a transparently misogynistic narrative, as well as resembling the aesthetics of pornography featuring scenarios similar to those found in contemporaneous adult films. Um, first off, I asked this question, and no, I'm not trying to be a sexist pig when I say that, but is it really that bad? And... The reason I ask that is because apparently audiences love this film. There's more on that in a bit, but I'm I, I I'm gonna kind of backtrack a little bit here because I get this. I get it. Yes, the victims are all women. Um, I won't deny that. Except the killer himself eventually dies, so that's one male, and then there's another male victim that I'll talk about in a bit. Um, in terms of the film, though, like, okay, so behind the scenes, I think there's a bit of misogyny and bullshit going on. I'm not going to lie. I mean, Juan Piquet Simone, his obsession with women being nude, that's why I brought up both of those scenes and how, and not to mention, we also have the skinny dipping scene that he won that one, you know, it, the girl goes skinny dipping. And the thing is, is that it's more a him problem, I think, is from the sounds of it, Seems like he just wanted a reason for all these women to keep taking their clothes off. In terms of the movie, I'm going to look at it a bit differently. Because, yes, there's obviously the misogynistic tone to it. And I do get that. I do, honestly. But we also have another... There, there's another tone... There's another feeling I get from this movie. I get a feeling of PTSD and you're like, Whoa, where the fuck is this coming from? Uh, but... Keep in mind, we have young... The, the movie opens up with that prologue. Timmy's putting together the puzzle with... You know, it's the puzzle of the nude woman and whatnot. And yeah, it seems a little like... To be fair, most parents, honestly, after they would catch their kid putting that puzzle together, probably, you know, give the kid a good swat on the butt or say, you know, don't do that again. Give me that puzzle. They're going to go into another room and they're going to fucking giggle. You know damn well that most parents would be like, oh my god, I can't believe my kid was doing this. But... They wouldn't lose their shit. In this movie, they show that mommy comes in. She's all, you know, adoring her son until she sees what he's doing. Then she goes fucking bonkers. She's like, you're just like your father. Yeah, okay, that, that's always something great to say to a fucking kid. Which I might add, how did the kid get the puzzle? If he's just like his father, maybe it's the father who gave him the fucking puzzle. So shouldn't you be razzing on dad right now and not your fucking eight-year-old kid? But anyways, let's go nuts. Let's fuck, get me a bag. I'm going to throw all this trash away. It's one puzzle. I think she found, what, another magazine or something in his trunk that he had there. But I mean, most of the stuff she was whipping around, she was whipping around like, you know, sports cards and, you know, athletic equipment and toys and stuff like that. 
The kid, for the most part, is pretty fucking normal until you come along and fucking go nuts on him. Which then spins him to go fucking nuts. He comes back with an axe and chop, chop, chop. You're now dead and your kid's now got some fucking mental problems. And I mean, let's keep in mind, that's where the movie starts. We don't know what happened before. How many times has this kid had mommy go ape shit on him? I mean, maybe the movie has a, a theme going on here, but maybe possibly a little bit of bad parenting. Not that, honestly, <laughs> I know there's some parents that are listening to this going, really, kid? Like, or dude, like, seriously, you're going there? But you got to think about it. When you fast forward 40 years, spoilers, the killer is the dean. Hey, you know what? He managed to come out pretty much okay until that chick is, you know, riding on the skateboard or the skates or whatever and goes through the fucking pane of glass because, God forbid, we jump off the skateboard. Like, <laughs> that opening kill shot with the, the girl that flies through the pane of glass, it's like, well, but wait, what? Why wouldn't you just get off the skateboard? But no, instead she loses fucking control, goes through the glass, and that killed her, I might add. Um... And it also triggers the PTSD of our killer, which is the dean, like I said. But think about that for a second. He's the dean of the college. Pretty well adjusted. I mean, it means he went through grade school, high school, college, got a degree, and became a dean at a university. It's not until the girl goes through the pane of glass that the broken glass is what triggers him. Because of the broken glass from when, you know... His mom went ape shit. So, I mean, it's kind of weird. And then, not to mention, you know, he still has a love for his mother. Psycho. Hello, anybody. Norman Bates. Um, but he has a love for his mother. So, as he's killing all these co-eds, he's taking body parts so he can re-piece back together his, I'm assuming, what is his mother. Or, supposed to be the nude woman in the fucking puzzle. I, That's kind of up in the air because they both look somewhat alike in certain ways so i mean he could be recreating his mother i think so because he kept the dress but who knows i mean obviously it, we've seen movies like this before frankenhooker anybody but this movie is not as light-hearted as frankenhooker although it is kind of funny and i say that because according to a 1983 edition of fangoria years ago um so the president of the distribution company, uh, what was it, Film Film Ventures and Artists Releasing Corporation. I think, yeah, I wrote those two down. Yep. Okay. They were not interested in pieces originally. Uh, Juan Piquer Simone was trying to get someone to take on this movie to, you know, to distribute it into the theaters. And they were like, no, we'll have none of this. Producer Stephen Manassian is the one who convinced him. He said, okay, here, do this, do this. Go see the movie in the theater with the fans. And let's see what you think after that. And here's the funny thing. They changed their mind on it because the fans were laughing. The fans were having a good time. So that's the thing with this movie is, and this is why I said earlier, it's a matter of approaching. It's a matter of not taking it seriously because the censors, they took it seriously. The critics did the BBFC, the MPAA, feminist groups, religious groups, all these fucking groups. They took it so seriously. Instead of realizing, people just went to this movie and they just laughed at it and they had fun with it and they walked out. And I mean, I, I admit, I even said it in my in my younger days when I saw it for the first time. It really didn't interest me. 
I didn't hate it, but it didn't stick with me either. It wasn't until years later that my friend Jake is talking to me about it. And he's got the Blu-ray and he's like, here, you got to watch this movie. That's when I remembered I had actually seen it before, but I didn't appreciate it for what it was because it's, it's camp, it's cheese. And now, to this day, I love this movie so much. I have the VHS, the DVD, the Blu-ray, the soundtrack, <laughs> t-shirts, posters, everything. Like, And why? Because it's just one of those movies that you don't have to take seriously. You sit back and you fucking laugh at it and you go, my God, this movie is just so stupid. I mean, the dialogue. The dialogue, you know... Okay, here's this. The Bruce La cam- cameo. Not Bruce Lee. The Bruce La. It's L-E. And why is this? Because Dick Randall, at the same time that this movie was happening, he was doing kung fu movies and decided, well, hey, there's this Bruce Lee imitator. I'm going to bring him into this movie. But it's the most random fucking scene in the world. It has no point being in this movie, except that here you have Mary Riggs walking and all of a sudden some dude jumps out of nowhere and is doing kung fu shit pancakes. Oh, no, wait, no pancakes in this movie. But did I mention that Pieces is one of Eli Roth's favorite movies? Well, gee, that's funny because in Cabin Fever, he came out years later and we had the whole pancake scene and everyone's like, what the fuck is this? Well, watch Pieces and you might get it. Like, and that's the thing. And I'll also say, love him or hate him, whatever. Eli Roth, Eli Roth, Eli Roth champions this film. He loves this film. He says it influenced part of parts of his career. Obviously, pancakes, like I said. And then you have there's another theme going on in this film because this movie is more than just a slasher. I know most people think, oh, it's just a dumb slasher, and you're not wrong, but. You have the character of Kendall. Kendall is an interesting character because he's the one that helps further the story. He's the help that one. He's the one that helps to to find the killer. You know, I mean, he's basically working with the cops, so he seems like the good guy. But he's also a bit of an asshole. He's actually quite an asshole because he's like the college male whore, and he just wants to basically sleep with all these women. He doesn't care for them. He just wants to get it on. And interestingly enough, most of the women that he's sleeping with are the same women who are dying. They're being killed by this killer, and the pieces are all being put back together. Um, for all we know, maybe the killer is using Kendall as the one who will help him choose his victims. I mean, I don't know, but at the same time, Kendall's now also trying to get it on with Mary Riggs, Linda Day's character. I mean, and she's the undercover policewoman posing as a teacher. She's not even an actual tennis instructor. She's just a teacher who is working for the police department, but she was once a tennis player. That's why it works. And she screams out that word bastard really loud. You know the scene after Susie's been cut in half and, you know, she, she, you know, Kendall sees it first. He comes out. He's like, oh, my God, in the bathroom. And then. You know, Mary goes in there and she comes out and Ian's like, did you see it? And she's like, yes. Yes. While we were out here fumbling with that music, the lousy bastard was in there killing her. Bastard. 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 But I mean, okay. Back to Kendall. This womanizing creep. Who... 
I mean, at the same time, though, aside from his promiscuity and the fact that he likes to just throw women away, he is the one that does help find the killer. But I mentioned, like, you know, sleepaway camp. There's that last zinger at the end of the fucking movie. Well, guess what? All those women, if, if, if in fact those victims are the ones who he slept with, oh, they get even. They get even. So, I mean, yes, the movie is misogynistic at times, but there is a feminist twist to it. Literally. I mean, they twist his fucking nuts right off. I mean, so that's the thing. And, and it's just this movie is so much fun. And it's got like a great what the fuck just happened moment at the very end of the film. That's the thing. From beginning to end, this movie is hilarious. It's fun. It's stupid. It doesn't take itself seriously. It was everyone else that did. And that's why I wanted to talk about this movie. So much to talk about. I mean, it's... And I'm not going to lie. Pieces is not a movie for everyone. I mean, it's something that exists. And for better or worse, it's a trashy little Spanish and American flick that is beloved by horror fans. And it's a film that makes for great conversation. There's always something you can talk about with this film. I remember when Jake brought it back up to me about this movie. And then after that, we were talking about it and we had conversations about this movie. I have conversations with my friends constantly that, you know, my friends that I've introduced this film to years later. I mean, we're talking 2020, you know, here I am having a Halloween night with some friends and I'm like, you guys got to watch pieces. You're going to fucking love this movie. And every single one of them, the whole movie, we're laughing. We're joking. We're dying over the stupidity of the dialogue and the, the crazy kill scenes. And then there's that what the fuck moment at the very end. Oh yeah, Kendall, you got it coming back to you now, bitch. And it's just so awesome. In my heart, like I said, this movie's a fucking 10. If I want to get all, you know, well, critically, and the movie is not that great. There's a lot of problems with it. And, you know, I should take to the internet and make it sound like I'm some, like, you know, art film scholar, like, you know, because this movie, it, it doesn't have great feng shui to it. It's about a six. But fuck off. The movie's a ten. I mean, isn't it? This is what films are all about, man. Like, this is what we do. This is... It, it's stupid. Yes, I know. But it's got heart. It's 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 a film that I love and I have enjoyment from and it's fun. And this movie, okay, so why did I pick this movie for the 100th episode? 100 episodes of movie reviews on this show now. And I mean, yes, some people might say if you actually go back, yes, there's one episode that, you know, um was it, it was actually a very heartfelt episode that I did when uh, my dog Wally passed away. You know, we interrupt this scheduled programming. Yes, that was a that was an episode that was in tribute to my dog. I know some people were like, "You called him a little fucker." It was a personal thing between him and I, and that dog. Every time I would look at him, I go, "You little fucker." His tail would wag. So I mean, you got to keep in mind, like there there were certain things about that relationship, and but. That episode, okay, wasn't a movie review. Um, the episode 74 that I did, you know, where it was like talking about how, you know, 2020 
when you looked at the mainstream and you saw what was in the mainstream news, the whole idea of COVID-19, the, the, how there were so many social issues all at once that were all happening. And here I was off to the side doing this little podcast where I'm talking about a bunch of violence and gore and women getting killed and, and, you know, villains getting away with shit and all this stuff. And it was like, it's making it very hard. On me. <laughs> like, And that was an episode like kind of like to show like, you know, what that sometimes, you know, we, we come off as insensitive horror fans. You know, some people think we're insensitive pricks because, Oh, well, you enjoy watching people die. It's not that we like the fantasy of it. Like, and, but when the world is like that burdening at that time and everything just seems like it's going wrong, it made it hard. You know, last year was a very difficult year for many things. And there were a lot of things I kept off this show that were very difficult to deal with. But I mean, so there was that episode and I know people will say, well, you know, you haven't done technically a hundred episodes of reviews, but then again, I did do the double chiller thriller episode, episode five. I think that was way back in the day where I talked about two movies. There's been several times that I've talked about more than one movie on this, on this show, especially recently. It seems like every opening monologue now is like a, a recap of like three or four movies that I watched over the past week. I didn't even talk about gunpowder milkshake, by the way. Like this episode, and that that's a great fucking movie. Um, I watched that one last night, and my god, I loved it. Um, but coming back full circle to what this was all about, why I did pieces, I did pieces because one, horror movies inspired me to do this show. Science fiction movies inspired me to do this show. Pieces, love it or hate it, misogynistic or not, and you gotta keep in mind, in the 80s, they were gunning for all slashers, saying that all slashers, all it was, was female victims. I mean, Maniac was another movie perfect for that. You know, it was it glorified violence to women. Yes, and it, did you watch it to the end? Because every single one of those dead women came back and fucking mutilated that fucking killer. I, came full circle man yeah you push a woman so far she can come back and kick your ass and that's exactly what that movie showed um and that see that's exactly my point that's the point to why i chose pieces pieces there's stuff to talk about a lot of these movies there's stuff to talk about there's behind the scenes shit to talk about there's bloopers there's fun memories that come with all these movies. Like I said, over the past, I'd say 10, 15 years, this movie went from being something that I just averagely liked to, oh my God, it's in my top five. Because the more I watch it, the more I see things that make me laugh. And I love being able to introduce it to people. I've been doing this show for a hundred plus episodes now, and it's been a journey. It's been a growing experience. It's been a learning experience. It's, I haven't always done everything I said I would either. I know there's been times I've been like, Oh, I'm going to do contests this year. And no, that didn't happen. Oh, I'm going to have more guests on the show. That didn't happen. You know, I'm going to review movies that I don't like, and I'm going to be a little bit more critical. Yeah, that didn't happen. And you know what? I'll say this. The reason why that didn't happen is because my attitude towards movies has changed. If you go back to the original episodes of this podcast back, I'd say the first at least 20 or 30. How many times do you remember me talking about how remakes and reboots sucked and why are we always doing reboots and remakes and sequels and this and that? And I got to say that over, over time, over a hundred plus episodes now, I, my opinion about that has changed a bit. You know, I'm more about, I, I understand 
filmmakers. I, I understand why they do remakes and reboots. It's not so they're not trying to be better than the original. They know the original is is the original. It is it is the 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 pinnacle. It's the top of the crop. Like it was like when I was talking about um Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. And the actor who played Leatherface said, Look, I will never be Gunner An- Gunner Hansen. I've got to do at least what I can with it. Bill Johnson was the name of the actor. And he he had to do what he could as long as he didn't ruin what Gunner had done originally. As long as he was able to give his best foot forward. And that's the thing. It, Rob Zombie is somebody that I, I, I'd i say over the past three years of doing this show, my opinion of him has changed a bit. I used to think, you know, why does he always have to make everything about rednecks all the time? And why does he always seem like he has to go to the extreme? Why can't he just do a fucking remake and make it, you know, okay? But then I realized something. He knows himself already from the very beginning. He's not going to top the original. He just wants to show love for it. He wants to... Put his own spin on it, but show love for something. And I, I, I'm able to respect that now, you know, and that's something that has changed over, over the, the past three years, hundred episodes. Um, one thing that I, I, I'm, I'm getting better at respecting people's opinions. Not everyone's going to agree with me on these movies. Okay, fine, whatever. I mean, my opinion really doesn't matter anyways. I just do this because I love it. Um, but I mean, I, something I do take offense to or kind of stand, I shouldn't say take offense to, but I stand up against it is this idea of that critics giving like zero star ratings or one out of five, one out of 10 ratings and stuff. Yo, man, like get off your fucking throne. You're not that great yourself. I mean, when I actually look at reviews and I do that every week for this show, so I have something to, you know, to bounce my review off of because i don't have a co-host right now uh maybe that'll change who knows but when i see like critics and sometimes like you know i read these reviews and there's like spelling errors all the time or grammatical errors all the time and not to mention that we live in an age now where it's like because the internet makes it so easy to be your own reviewer i mean take a look at my show right like i I now have a, a, a podcast show, but written reviews. Sure. It's easy to become a, a writer now because all you gotta do is create your own little blog and say, look at me. I'm a horror. I'm a horror critic now. And it's like, you, you don't have to try that hard. Try being that director. That's got to manage, you know, 50, 60, 200, 300, 400 people to come together to make a film work and it's like it's something that I've realized that through this show I'm trying to bring more positivity to the genre. I don't want to be that annoying asshole. I don't want to always be that hateful jerk, which is, like I said, I haven't done everything I said I would. Yeah. Reviewing movies I don't like would kind of go against what I said even the last couple of weeks where I said, why do we feel this need to watch something we know we won't like and then we're going to bitch about it? I don't want to be that guy. I prefer talking about movies I love, so that's why I keep doing this. I know my audience isn't huge either. I mean, I'm, I stand right now, I'm proud to say that one of my episodes for this show hit over 100 downloads, and my god, you guys have no clue how much that made my heart actually feel alive for a moment, because I always say it's dead, but <laughs> um, it, 
fuck, it was so awesome to see that movie just keep creeping up and creeping up. And then when it hit the 100 mark and kept going, I was like, wow. Like, And I know there's podcasts out there. You know, Kevin Smith can release a podcast and 200,000 people listen to it. Well, that's good for him. For me, I... I'm happy with even just seeing 20 downloads. It's like 20 people took time out to listen to me talk. That means something to me. And my audience isn't huge, but it's there. And in terms of like the catalog of films, I've only grazed the surface with this show. I have so much more to gush about, so much more to rave about, talk about, maybe be disappointed about. I mean, there are some films that have come out that I was like all geeked up about. And I was like, ah, shit, (laughs) that wasn't that good. Um, Perfect example of that was Alien Covenant. Years ago when that came out, I'm not going to lie. I bought the hype. I was ready for that movie. And then when I walked out, I think I spent about a good week just trying to convince myself I liked it. Only to realize, no, I didn't. It just, it wasn't what I wanted. Um... I don't know. It, film is a great pastime. Movies are a great pastime. It, just as books are and video games and everything else that's out there that's meant for entertainment, that's the thing. It's a pastime. It's supposed to be fun. You can do it at home, you know, home alone? Home alone with Kevin McAllister? Oh, wait, no. Some of us, we just call that the Chud reunion. But, um, no. You can watch a movie by yourself. You can watch it in a group. Like, I'm not going to lie. I, I know I even just recently said on the show, you know, I've enjoyed the idea of, you know, release day, being able to watch movies at home because I don't like the big theater crowds and whatnot. But I'm not going to lie. Come Halloween, a couple of my friends and myself, we get together and, you know, we sit around and we watch horror movies. And that's usually me introducing them to the batshit crazy ones like pieces, for example. And I'll tell you, that little group of us just watching these movies is fucking, it's so much fun. I mean, sure, and I guess it doesn't bother me as much because usually I've already seen the movie. So if you get, if you walk in front of me, fine, I don't fucking care. I already know what movie is. But we can watch a movie, like, you know, with whomever we want to, if we want to. But hopefully when the movie is done, it gives us something to talk about, something to laugh about, something to enjoy, something to be scared of. You know, some people, some people enjoy that idea. I mean, most horror fans do. We enjoy the idea of being scared. We know it's safe. We know at the end of it, we, you know, we turn the movie off and we're still here. But I mean, the reason we got into horror in the first place was because something scared the shit out of us. And we loved that feeling. We were like, oh, shit, that was kind of cool. I want to do that again. It's like people that get on roller coasters. You know, I'm personally not a roller coaster guy myself, but I get it. You know, people love that thrill. And then after it's done, they're like, I got to do that again. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's, I get it. So whether the, whether you watch these movies to discover or discuss, I mean, just exactly that. That's what this podcast is all about. Like to find out what does lurk behind the horror magic, you know, the special effects, the locations. The acting choices, the monsters, the spooks, the creeps, the ghosts, the skeletons, the corpses. They all have a home at Podcast Zero. And that's what 100 episodes meant to me and it's why I chose Pieces. Yes, alright. Logically, Pieces is about a 6. But it's a 10. 
because there is a lot that comes with this movie that I absolutely love. And on that note, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for a hundred episodes. Thanks for, uh, cause some of you have been around from the very beginning, you know, some of you might've joined in, you know, halfway through the run, but I mean, you went back and you listened to those original episodes and whatnot. So just thank you for listening to the guests that I've had on this show up to this point. I got to thank them too. I mean, this, there have been some episodes that were really, really awesome because of who was on the show. And that is something that I'm not going to promise it'll happen a lot, but it's something I want to attempt. Let me put it to you that way. I would like to have people on this show and they don't have to be horror movie fans. It can be someone who, you know, just wants to talk about why they're scared of the movies, you know, and stuff like that. Um, we don't have to talk about horror movies. We can talk about science fiction movies. We can talk about, you know, uh, what we call gateway horror. You know what I mean? Like goosebumps, fear street. These are gateway horror things, you know, um, sometimes it, it Charlie Brown, uh, what was it? Uh, the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown or the Garfield Halloween special. These are things we can talk about. We don't have to talk about scary movies. So it is one thing that I would like in the future to be able to say that I'm going to bring some people on to talk and to just shoot the shit. Hopefully that's what actually the next episode will be. The next episode is one that I have been planning for some time to bring on somebody uh, I've mentioned him before, my friend Colin, uh, who's the host of Film Man Reviews. I'm hoping, if all goes well, that he'll be on the next episode of this show. Um, if not, it'll be a movie review. But I, I think we're going to be able to make this work. Um, and, I mean, that's the thing. Another 100 episodes is still ahead of me. And I don't, like I said before, I don't plan on stopping anytime soon. So, thank you all for coming back. You know where you can find the show. It's basically on any of the major streaming apps nowadays. Whether it be Amazon, Google, Spotify, Apple, uh, FM Player, Podbean. It's out there. It's spreading like... A wildfire. I was going to say something else. I won't. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's it's out there, and like I said, the downloads are up, and I'm extremely happy about that. So thank you so much. On social media, you can find the show on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you can contact me there as well. You can also contact me through the email. Uh, which is what lurks behind podcast zero at gmail.com. Always feel free to send me an email or whatever, you know what I mean? If you want to bitch about something that I said or you want to, you know, say, hey, thanks, you know, your show was great. Thanks for 100 episodes. Be more than glad to read that. It'd be awesome. Um, other than that, that's about it. Like I said, next episode, I am actually really hoping to have a guest on the show. Hopefully, I can make this work. But until then, everybody, thank you so much. So much. And I know that Al is going to tell me to shut the fuck up anytime now, but thank you so much because it's really been awesome that I've been able to talk to all of you for the past hundred episodes and just exude my love for this genre because this genre is not the ugly stepchild in the closet. It is a solid genre with something to say 
and can be fun and loved. And that's about it. Go ahead, Al. Do what you gotta do. You need to shut the fuck up. Hey, lick my plate, you dog dick. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put the pieces to... Where did this filth come from? <clears throat> Answer me. Answer me. What I have to put up with. You dirty-minded little brat. Playing with filth like this. Just like your father. You don't watch out. That's who you're going to grow up like. And I can tell you a couple of things about him. Bastard! I'll kill you if I ever find stuff like that in the house again. Go get a plastic bag. I'm going to burn everything. Don't just stand there. Go get a bag. I'm going to put a stop to this one. Magazines. Betty has more stuff all over the place. Hurry up, stupid, and bring me a plastic bag to junk this stuff.